All right, good morning once again. Uh, welcome if you're joining us online, maybe watching on your phone or smart TV, um, or for those of you gathered here in person, we're, we're just so thankful that, that you have chosen to join us, and we're going to open God's Word, and thanks Bobby and Adia, uh, great job lighting the candle, and um, we're in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, so at the end of uh, an insane year, we want to take a deep breath and over the next four weeks, celebrate Advent. As James said, the Advent just means the arrival of a notable person or a notable event or thing. And this week, we're going to talk about hope. And uh, thank you, Mitchell, once again for uh, such a cool graphic. And we're going to see that graphic filled in as we go through. And, and this morning, we have hope and we're going to talk about why. I want to start with a little story, something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. I don't, this doesn't often happen to me, but when it does, I, I try to remember it, but vivid dreams. You ever have those super vivid dreams? And I had a, I had a dream that was so uh, troubling to me, and it happened on a Saturday night, and it was right before I was going to have to preach. This was two weeks ago, and my dream was uh, my uncle who had just recently passed away within the last month, uh, he was in my dream and he was inviting me on this river ride. But it was like I had a canoe and it was just me. He's like, hey, let's go. And I'm like, what do I need? And he's like, nothing, just, just yourself. And I just got my, I have my swim trunks on. I, I don't even have a shirt. I'm just like swim trunks, a canoe. I jump in this river and I'm going down this crazy river. And as only in a dream, this surreal river, it's like vertical drops and, and the rushing water. And I can remember all the details of this dream. And my uncle's like behind me in his canoe. And he's like, let's go. He's like cheering me on. And we're going, we're, we're just flying down these rapids. And, and it was a blast. It was the time of my life. And then I see it kind of, I see us kind of come into this fork. And he's like, go that way, go down the canyon. And so I, so I start heading down toward this canyon. The whole ride has been a blast, so I have no reason to, to doubt anything. And so I, I just like go for it into this like dark canyon. It's just imagine like this, this drop down into this canyon. I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. So I go down into this canyon and all of a sudden I just, boom, I just get stuck in this canyon and there's just this little hole where the water's going down, but I'm just stuck with my canoe. And I look up back and it's just total darkness. And the, the rock is like slippery, so I can't climb out. And I obviously can't go down because I, I don't have anything. I, and I start reaching and I realize I don't, remember he told me not to bring anything. I didn't even have my phone. I didn't have anything. And so I am alone, trapped and it felt like my dream just kept going as I'm agonizing in this dark hole with no way out and no way forward, just stuck. And I'm just stuck in this, this dream or nightmare, whatever it is, and then I wake up. And it's like, I gotta go preach this sermon. And I actually told Jeff this dream because I was so troubled by it and he prayed for me, and I'm just like, the whole time that Sunday, that Sunday morning a couple weeks ago, I'm like processing this, this dream of feeling stuck, feeling trapped, and, and what's in it for me? What, 
what, is, what does this mean? How, and, and, you know, as we were worshiping, something happened to me. I'm going to tell you later in the sermon. But um, I, I want to say this. I think that that's how most of us feel. Like, I think collectively, not just as a, as a church, not just as a city or community, but as like a globe, like a lot of us feel trapped, feel stuck. And we don't see any way, there's no way back. We can't go back to 2019. And we look ahead and it just, it feels, we feel trapped. And, and like that song, you know, the song, Is He Worthy? Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Like the shadows deepen. Like, do you feel the darkness is getting darker around us? In the midst of it, I, I feel that way. And in the midst of it, the question comes, what is your hope? What is the thing that when you're stuck, you have hope because you see a way out, you see light. What, what is your hope in the midst of that darkness? That's really the question. And, and so I asked, I asked Mitchell uh, to come up with this graphic. And so your sermon notes this morning are a picture, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can draw this little picture and we're going to see. So first picture, Melinda. Yeah, here it is. Here's your sermon notes. We're going to fill this in, but we've got the beginning. This is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we know that there will be an end, right? God is the author of this story, and every great book ends with those two words, the end, The author will step onto the scene and decide this is over. It is finished. The end of the story. And so here's the reality. Next picture kind of shows that's, you know, kind of how we feel right now, right? 2020, the shadows deepen, the rain clouds are coming, and there's a big question mark. What's ahead for us? As we look into the future, what is our hope? And so that's what we're talking about this morning. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see his description of this time. He says, there is darkness. In verse 4, he says, there's an oppressive yoke, a rod on our shoulders. Think about that image of a rod on our shoulders. Oppression, war, He says, but in the midst of this, there's hope. He says, Isaiah says, the staff of the oppressors will be shattered. In verse 5, he says, the bloodied garments of war will be burned up. How? How does the rod of the oppressors get shattered How do the bloodied garments of war get burned up? He says simply in verse 6, a child. A child. For to us, a child is born, a son is given. And verse 7 says, he will reign on the throne of David. He will reign on the throne of David. Now, if you are new to the Bible and this whole Christianity thing, that line is so important for you to understand. The concept of the line or the lineage of David. So let me just quick explain this. 
Have you ever wondered why, if you read the Bible, um, and many of you, I, I don't know if you've read Genesis, Numbers, those, those books in the Bible, uh, even the book of Matthew starts this way, it's a list of names. Have you ever wondered why there are so many lists of names in the Bible? Why lineage matters so much? Why it matters so much to a Jewish person that they are like ethnically Jewish? That's an important question, and it comes back to this idea of he's going to reign on the throne of David. In Genesis 3.15, if you go back to the very beginning, you see this concept, and after the fall, after Adam and Eve sin in the garden, they rebel against God, God lines them up. He's got Adam, Eve, and the serpent, Satan. And, he, the, and the storyline of this book begins with Genesis 3.15, where he says to Eve, Someone from your offspring, someone from your lineage is going to come and they're going to crush Satan with their foot. Now the serpent is going to strike at the heel of that, of that person, your child, but, but in doing, he's going to crush the serpent. And so the whole storyline of the Bible is framed in with this question of who will this person be that will come and crush the serpent? And so you ask the question, was it Abel? She has a son, Abel. Is that who's going to crush Satan? What happens to Abel? He gets killed by his brother Cain. Well, apparently it's not him. Next one up, Seth. Is it going to be Seth? Is he the one that's going to crush Satan? Not Seth. Is it Enosh? Maybe Seth's son Enosh is the one. And so on and on it goes. And you can read the list of names and, and all these this lineage. Lineage matters because one of these children is going to crush Satan. And we call this person the Messiah. In Hebrew, the Mashiach. The Mashiach literally means the one anointed with oil. And oil in the Bible, you see this, and, and this is how they anointed kings, prophets, priests. It was a symbol of chosenness. Does that make sense? It signifies, the oil signifies chosenness. This precious oil that was, that was put on these people. So Israel was ruled by all of these kings, okay? They, there was this period, and you can read about it, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You can see these kings that are ruling over Israel. And one of those kings, the greatest of all the kings, representing the golden age of Israel, his name is David, King David. And this was around 1000 BC, somewhere in there. Now, here's the thing. Isaiah is writing this in about 700 BC. So this is 300 years after King David, after the golden age of Israel. Okay, now, now listen. When Isaiah's writing this, the glory days of Israel are long gone. They're so far in the past. This prosperity is gone. And now there's just darkness, war, despair, not a lot of hope for the people of Israel at this time. But Isaiah says to them, don't worry about your darkness because a child is coming. A child is coming, and we can see if you 
If you follow the rest of the Old Testament from the time Isaiah is writing and you keep going, things actually go from bad to worse. Don't worry, a child is coming. That's great. But things go from bad to worse. Now, this is where it all turns because when you, the first book of the Gospels is Matthew. So in my Bible, I have a nice white page here that just signifies we are in the New Testament now. You turn the page, you get to Matthew chapter one, the very first book of the gospel, and how does it start? It starts with a lineage. It starts with a list of names, just like Genesis. Why? Because Matthew wants us to know this king is the fulfillment of this ancient promise, not just from 700 BC, but all the way back to Eve in the garden, Genesis 3.15. And so to make sense of this book, you have to understand why lineage matters because the lineage represents the Messiah who's going to come, the prophesied Messiah. And so Matthew 1.1 starts with these words. It's on the screen. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's what that means. Jesus Christ, the son of David. Uh, Maybe you can turn to the person next to you and explain what the word Christ means. We say this all the time, Jesus Christ. I won't actually make you do this. I don't want to embarrass you. But that Christ, what is that? Like maybe if you're, uh, if you're new to this whole thing, you might think, is that his last name? Like Mark Arendt, Jesus Christ. What does that mean, Christ? Well, the Greek word is Christos is like the translated word from Mashiach. It just means the anointed one, the chosen one. It could mean like the one smeared with oil. That's how you, again, set apart someone as the king. So This child, what Matthew's saying, this child we've been waiting for since Genesis 3.15 is on the scene and he's going to crush Satan. Into this sea of darkness and danger and chaos comes a baby. And we know what happens to this baby, right? This baby Jesus Remember the angels come, hark the herald, angels sing, they come and they announce this birth, the shepherds come, the the nativity scene, this amazing child that's born, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for all these years has arrived on the scene and how does his story end? How does Jesus, the chosen one, overcome the darkness? How does he shatter the rod of oppression? Well, he's crucified. He's crucified by some hypocritical religious leaders and some evil, pagan, godless Roman rulers. How was that a good idea? To send your son into the world and let evil and darkness overcome him. 
that strategy is odd. It sounds like the opposite of overcoming the darkness. It sounds like succumbing to the darkness. It sounds like being overcome by the darkness. But remember this. And this is so important for us to understand in this moment in 2020. The problem in the world is not we just need to get the right government system in place. We just need to get the right emperor in power. We just need to get the right prime minister or president or king. No, that's actually not what we need. Those things are good and we should pray for them and pray for that. But what we actually need is someone to smash Satan on the head and just destroy him. And we need someone to come and deal with our problems. See, I don't need someone to come and deal with all the problems out there because you know what I realize? The worst problems in the world that I know about happen right in here, right? It's right here. It's, it's my own sin and judgment and greed and all these things that, that I struggle with in here. I need someone to come. I don't need someone to just come and solve your problems. I need someone to save me. That's what I need. And so Jesus comes, he's crucified, he's buried, and the way that he crushes Satan and our ultimate problem, death and judgment after death, is he is raised from the dead. He is raised from the dead. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the only person in this life who can solve your greatest problem, which is the sin and death and judgment problem. Because there's no government leader that can solve that problem. There's no amount of technology and medicine that will solve your death problem. What you need is a savior, and he has come, Jesus, who came to save the world from our sins. So I want to ask this morning, what is your hope? Here's the next point in the picture. You can, you can draw this in. Melinda, if you could throw that up. There it is. The point number one is we need to look back and see a child has come. For to us, a son is born. A child has been given to us. What is our hope this morning? We look back and we see Jesus has come into the world to save us from our sins. So point number one is, what is your hope this morning? A child. Look back and see the child, Jesus. Now I want to go back to my dream. Remember my dream, uh, feeling trapped in this cave. And I was praying through this and like, Lord, what, what does this mean? Help me with this. I'm feeling kind of hopeless. Um, during worship, I think it was Lauren that was singing, and it was the song Forever. And there's a line in there that says, um, the ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away. This perfect love 
could not be overcome. And I remember it was in worship. I'm sitting right over here. And all of a sudden, like, I was like transported back to my dream. And all of a sudden, I could see this little hole. And I could see the earth just shaking. And rocks started busting. And I realized the stone was rolled away. Like, the the power of Jesus Christ to overcome death. And what was so terrifying in that dream It's like the Lord was saying, Mark, the reason you were scared in your dream is because you were imagining an impossible situation, which is you alone. You will never be alone. What was so scary about that is I was alone and Jesus was saying, Mark, you will never be alone. You were being You were imagining a scenario where you were stuck without me. And remember, I have saved you from your sins. And I promise, Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. I myself will come to you. Okay, so this morning we need to look back and we need to see this child, Jesus Christ, this long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, that did shatter the rod of the oppressors, just like Isaiah said. But now here's the second part. Isaiah 9, 6 says about this child, look at verse 6, the government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? Well, he explains, he says in verse 7, the dominion of this child is going to be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Has this happened? No, this has obviously not happened yet. We are still waiting for this government that Isaiah speaks of to be fully realized. And and I love this, this phrase. He says, the prosperity will never end. What's interesting is when Isaiah started his life and writings, actually uh, the nation of Israel was prospering. It was doing pretty well. But by the time he starts writing this, he has lived through a number of different kings and now they are in a time of darkness. Everything in Israel kind of went south and he's looking forward to this future king And he says, the prosperity will never end. I think this is instructive for us. I mean, you know this, right? Like, American prosperity is not going to last forever. You do know that, right? I mean, I I talk to a financial advisor and they're like, hey, you you gotta put your money in the market and don't, you know, your retirement accounts, but don't look at the market because it's just, you got to trust the market. Like it's gonna, it's gonna take care of itself. Like this is the market back from the 1900s and see how it, yeah, it's gonna go down, but you can't look at this little down part. You got to look at the whole trajectory. Um, I, I believe them. I believe my financial advisor that that's probably going to happen, but I'm actually not under any illusions that that will for sure happen, that that's going to go on forever. Because what I know is someday, if Jesus doesn't come back, they'll be studying American history like we study Roman history. I mean, who was the greatest emperor that lived in about 
uh, 80 AD that ruled over the Roman Empire. you, You don't know who that is, right? Just like many years from now, they won't even know who these presidents were, and they'll study it like it was ancient history. And here's the point of this. As we reflect on Isaiah 9, the point is that the Christian hope is not that our government leaders are going to get this all figured out. It's not that guys uh, just, you know what, you just got to trust the medical professionals. They are going to get this whole thing under control. Now, what I'm not saying is government leaders don't matter. Medical professionals don't matter. That's, that's if, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, we just know that no human being, no system is going to sort all this out. Our hope is something much better. It's what Isaiah says, look, it's a city where justice and righteousness will go on forever. It's the city of God where justice and righteousness dwells. This is the the next part of your picture that you can fill in if you're taking notes. Point number two, we're looking back on a child, but point... The second point is, our hope is a coming kingdom. It's a city. We look back at the child, we look ahead to the city, and that is our hope. The heavenly city where righteousness and justice dwell. I love the psalmist. He says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Right, that, like justice on earth, it's like this elusive thing that we know it's there, but we have a hard time getting it perfectly. And we see injustice in our world. We see suffering, but we look forward to a city. And uh, the rain clouds turn to a rainbow, which there's a lot of symbolism in that as well. But, but we look ahead and the question mark is gone because we know where we're going we know about our city. I want to, can I just read some scripture to you to remind you of this city? We have to talk about this. We have to remind each other of this place that we're going. And I want to read some scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at this. Listen, just listen to this. It says, these all died in faith. All these saints that went before us, they have, they have died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised but they saw them from a distance. Just like our picture, they're looking into the distance. Now they were looking ahead to the child and ahead to the city. We're looking back at the child and ahead to the city. But they, they saw them from a distance. They greeted them. I love that. They greeted them. Oh yes, the heavenly city. Oh yes, the child. We welcome you. We invite you. O come, O come, Emmanuel. They greeted them and they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. We need this. This is us. Temporary residents, foreigners. Verse 14. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You know, I, you came to church or you tuned in this morning and 
not watched whatever's on TV this morning. Because you are seeking a homeland. You didn't come here to be entertained. You came here to be reminded about your homeland. Verse 15, if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That city is our hope this morning. That city is why we are not afraid in the darkness. And Christians confess, we are foreigners here. We're temporary residents. We are citizens of another country. I want to read another description of this city in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. This is the city. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Twenty twenty has been a rough year. And we don't know what's ahead. But we are fearless about the future. Because we have hope. And we know how the story ends. It ends with a city where righteousness and justice dwell. We're going to end the service with this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, at the end. And, and that, I love the line, it says, born to raise, born, like this child came, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That is our hope this morning. I came across this article as I was, as I was reflecting on 2020. And actually, uh, it was a fascinating article. It was written a couple years ago. And a team of scientists and historians got together and they did this research project. And what they were trying to figure out was, what was the worst possible time to live as a human on planet Earth? Isn't that a fascinating question? What, was, what would be like the absolute worst year to live if you were a human? And do you know what year they came up with? They predicted 2020. No, they didn't. Uh, what, what they did is they came up with the year 536. 536 AD. 
Does anyone know what happened in 536? This is amazing that this actually happened in human history. In 536, a gigantic, giant volcanic eruption happened in Iceland, resulting in an ash cloud that kept the entire northern hemisphere in darkness for 18 months. It dropped temperatures to their coldest period ever recorded. I mean, imagine snow in July. It led to, obviously, led to mass crop failure and, of course, starvation, followed by more volcanic eruptions. Now, that's actually not the worst part of 536. Because also, in 536, kind of a bummer, but it gets worse. A few years later, the bubonic plague hits the earth. spreading across the world, killing over 50 million people with its gruesome symptoms. Now, here's the good news. Things started to improve a few decades later. But they didn't fully pick back up until about 640, a full century later. And you're like, Well, good morning, sunshine, right? I came to church to be cheered up and I get a reflection on 536. Okay, here's the point. Here's the point, church. 536 was bad. And there's a big question mark in 2021. We don't know the future. We don't know what's gonna happen. But this is not a problem if you're a Christian. Because we have hope of a child who has saved us and a city that is waiting for us. And that changes everything. That is the only thing we need to know about the future, is that I'm saved and I'm gonna live with him forever in that city, in that heavenly city, And here's what we remember. As we look into the future, um, I was, uh, there was this, this, uh, uh, this guy that, that, that told my wife, you need to, during this time of 2020, you need to find everything that Corey Ten Boom wrote and you need to read it. She lived through the Holocaust, amazing story, her famous book, The Hiding Place. Uh, But I'm actually reading it right now. It's, It's just phenomenal. But he said, you'll you'll have hope if you read her story. And one of the things she said is, she said, oh, God has no problems, only plans. And when we look into the future, we can say, like uh, one of my friends says, the world is not falling apart, it's falling into place. And that's what we need to know about the future. It's not all of the uncertainties It's our hope. And in fact, for us, the darkness is not a problem for us. The darkness is an opportunity for us. Finally, Christian, as the world gets darker and darker, we have the opportunity to shine brighter and brighter. 
I want to show you a picture of this, a visual. So I'm going to actually turn off all the lights. And I want you to see this. The darkness. What happens as things get darker? What do you notice? Sorry, it's hidden for some of you. Like probably during this sermon, you, you didn't even notice that this thing was going the whole time, did you? But the darker it got in here, this becomes the only thing that you see. And Christian, this darkness is an opportunity for us. You can turn the lights back on. Some people are getting really scared right now. And I'm going to trip and start everything on fire. Church, we have a great hope this morning. And I want us to celebrate Advent this year as we look back on the child and ahead to the heavenly city. Let's pray. Jesus, we can't wait to dwell with you in this heavenly city. We long for you. God, I pray if there's anyone listening to this message that feels like they have no hope, they feel trapped, that you will give them hope to continue to not just survive, but to thrive as they look forward to the heavenly city, that hope will come alive and that the God of all hope will fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we as a church, as the people of God, will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.